Well, morning, everybody. Glad you're with us this morning. We circled this date on the calendar several months ago, so thanks for being a part. We think this is a really meaningful moment in the life of our church, and if you're kind of newer to the Eagle family, I can't think of a better Sunday for you to be around to kind of hear what uh, we sense God doing in and around and through our body these days. Yesterday, special day in the life of Eagle Church yesterday, we had two families have marriages yesterday. Here's a picture of the first family. Marcy Mays was married yesterday to Tom Schley. How about that? So that's in the backyard of David and Heidi Nakata's house. Nakata's had a long history here at Eagle. We had so many Eagle folks and folks who used to be connected to Eagle involved in that. And Tom and Marcy are in their 70s. And uh, just a great story. Tom had lost his wife a few years back. Marcy, of course, lost Dave. Dave was a longtime member of this body, lost Dave in 2012. And then just over the course of the last several months, their friendship, they've known each other for 52 years. They were kind of classmates at Taylor type relationship. And, and so yesterday, it was just neat to be together. That was at noon yesterday. And then at 4.30 yesterday afternoon, here's the scene for the McCarthy family, Jack and Megan Hockman now, Megan McCarthy. Many of you know the McCarthy families. Let's clap for the McCarthy family. <laughs> Steve and Karen, are you here today after that long day? There they are right there in their season ticket holder seats right there halfway down on the aisle. But special day uh, for the McCarthys and long history that Steve and Karen had had. Just Josh, their oldest son, was just about 18 months ago married and now Megan, their daughter. So they're officially, really officially empty nesters now, right? the McCarthys. But, you know, yesterday was just one of those where both couples were just so smiling and so full of life and joy and hope. One of them because they knew what they were getting into. And the other one because they had no idea what they were getting into. I just loved the complete contrast of a marriage in their 70s and a marriage in their 20s. Um, But as I walked through the day, you know, and as I was driving last night home, I thought, it's such a joy to be grounded in a community, in a family, in a body of people together, not for years, but for decades. There's something about that, right, Sharon? Right, Mike? The Swathwoods are there for how many years? And the Mays. And I remember when David and Marcy Mays walked in the doors of Eagle Church in 1992. I remember when the Mays' grandkids You know, they introduced us to their grandkids. And I remember when David went into ACMC missions work and all the stuff he used to do around here with missions. And I remember the day in 2012 when my phone rang and it was Marcy. And she said, Eric, I need you to come to the house. I think think David might have just taken his last breath. I remember standing in the living room when the ambulance pulls up. And I remember Angie Bostic coming and surrounding, and you remember Angie's story, and Angie, and Angie and her girls were there yesterday serving drinks to Marcy and the wedding crew. And, and I, I remember all those steps in the journey, and then just to see how God and his grace would allow Marcy to finish the last chapters of her life with now a companion named Tom. And then I remember with the McCarthys, I remember Megan McCarthy in the green zone downstairs. We don't even call it the green zone anymore, but that's what I remember. Purple zone, green zone. I'm standing there looking at Meg. I go, what were you just down in the preschool rooms? What are you doing here in a bridal gown? 
Of course, they're looking at me going, well, Simpson, you're getting old. That's the issue. I mean, you've just been around here so long. But there's something about that, isn't there, gang? When you just decide that you're going to plant yourself and ground yourself and grow up together in Christ. And yesterday, I just kind of had a front row seat to that. And we could go around the room and all, all the different stories here. And this morning, I want to talk together as a, as a body about what does it mean to grow up together? And we're going to use Ephesians. So if you open up your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, going to kind of start at the last paragraph of Ephesians 3 and then launch into Ephesians 4 with these words. The Apostle Paul writes, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Say that with me together. Immeasurably more. Say that again. Immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout how many generations? All generations. We saw generations yesterday. Forever and ever Amen. This morning I want to talk about three markers on the growth chart for the immeasurably more life. You know the invitation of Jesus is to an immeasurably more life? Why? Can you, can you picture a more important invitation than this? Jesus says to us, we can, we're invited to live our everyday life with him. I think that is the most significant invitation any person on the planet could ever receive. That Jesus of Nazareth, the Alpha and the Omega, the Savior of the world, the living God of heaven and earth, he says to you and to me, you can come and live life every day with me. I think apprenticeship to Jesus is the single most staggering invitation anybody could receive. Because if you say yes to that invitation, here's what you're invited into. You're invited into an immeasurably more life. Anybody tasted that yet? Immeasurably more hope than you could have imagined. Immeasurably more joy than you could have imagined. Immeasurably more peace. Immeasurably more strength. Immeasurably more companionship. In the midst of the hardships and the heartaches that we've been discussing over the last few months as a church, Jesus says, I'll be with you. I'll give you an immeasurably more with me life. You say yes to that invitation. Can you think of a more significant invitation than you've ever received in your life? That Jesus says to you, you can come live life with me. It's an immeasurably more life. And how many of you have in the closets of your home or do you grew up with your parents on the closet doorframe? Did you have those little growth marks? Like kindergarten, a little down here, right? Fourth grade. And then anybody working on that? In the Simpson house, are working on it. And our, our oldest, Lily, she's gone way past mom this past year and just whoosh, right over the top. We got these little growth ticks on the doorframe of the closet. Here's what I want you to think about the message this morning. We're going to look at three growth marks on the doorframe of Eagle Church under the immeasurably more life. Because that's the life Jesus has called us into. And Paul starts at verse 1, chapter 4. Listen to what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord then... Which let me pause there and just say, lest you think Paul had any, um, 
He didn't have any disillusionment around how easy this Christian life was going to be. As a prisoner for the Lord then, because he literally spent half of his life following Jesus behind bars. And why was he behind bars? Because he was proclaiming Jesus. But he's also the one who says, hey, he's, the, he's given me the immeasurably more life. Because even in his hardship, he said that invitation to life with Jesus is immeasurably more than anything this world has to offer. I'll take behind bars with Jesus than outside the bars without him any day. That's what Paul was saying right there. As a prisoner for the Lord then, here's what he says. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Underline the word worthy in your Bible. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That word worthy in verse one there, live a life worthy of the calling. I want you to think of your freshman chemistry class. I contacted Zionsville High School this week. I was going through their science department. I go, hey, do any of you have one of them old-fashioned scales? You know what I'm talking about? Back, I guess, way back in the 80s, you know? Way back in the 80s. We had these scales that had these two pans in it, right? Right? What's that? Pan balance, a fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Clayton down here helping, helping a brother out up front here. Appreciate that. So pan balance, we ha- I was looking for a pan balance. That's Paul's imagery for worthy. Here's what he says. On one side of the scale for the pan is Ephesians 1 to 3, that you've been chosen, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, you've been sealed, you've been made alive with Christ. That's who you are. That's one side of the pan. It's weighted down with a calling of who you are in Christ. And here's what he says. The word worthy says, now balance the scales with your living. Let your living be in step with your calling. That's the word worthy. And so here's a picture. The immeasurably more life isn't live like this. We're just all the calling. I've been adopted. I've been redeemed. I've been set apart. I've been saved. I've been sealed for glory. I'm at spend eternity. I've been called to Christ. That's all signed, sealed, and delivered. But then our living, we're off the reservation, acting like we have no idea who we are. Paul said that's not the immeasurably more life. The immeasurably more life is when you begin to live in line, in balance with your calling. That your living and your believing or your calling are in sync with each other pan balanced together. And he draws attention now to some specific qualities. This is why in the book of Ephesians, by the way, you can think of the letter this way. Ephesians 1 to 3, this side of the pan balance. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, this side. 1 to 3, calling. 4, 5, and 6, living. That's why most of you like the second half of Ephesians more than the first half, because it has a real practical, like, well, this, how do we live this out, Paul? What does it mean to be made alive with Christ? What does it mean to live as restored and redeemed and renewed? That's the second part of the book of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And here's what he starts with. He says, you keep the what? Unity of the Spirit. So here's the first marker of an immeasurably more life. Here's the first marker on the growing up together as a body. First marker is there'll be a unity that's rooted in Christ-likeness. Have you noticed, those of you who try to lead anything, 
Those of you who are coaches trying to lead a team, those of you in the marketplace trying to lead in the business arena, those of you teachers trying to lead in a classroom, those of you in ministry circles trying to lead in ministry, have you noticed that it's fairly difficult to get a group of people to work cohesively and cooperatively together to accomplish anything? Has anybody noticed this? Have you noticed that the human condition doesn't drift to unity and support and encouragement and oneness. That's why Paul says, uses the language, he says, make every effort. What does that tell you? Are you just zapped with unity as a people in Jesus? Of course not. I read that and I go, well, Paul says, if I gotta make every effort to keep it, it must mean I don't have to think much about how to lose it. You can just drift into losing it. Which, by the way, side note here, can you think of a maybe a more appropriate passage for our world today and our country today. How many more news feeds are we gonna have to read where fracturing and splintering and division and hatred and just, right? That's just how, that's just a human condition left to itself. What's the end result of all that? As Hunter was praying earlier, right? Light and darkness. Wherever you pull Jesus out of the center of something, guess what rushes to fill that space? darkness. When you pull light out, darkness rushes in. As a country, the more we push Jesus to the margins, hear me now, should we be shocked then with what rushes in to fill that space? What's going to rush in and fill that space is not Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. It's not going to be unity and peace and patience and joy and hope together. That's not going to fill that space. The more you push Jesus to the margins, what's going to rush in to fill that space? There's going to be hatred and violence and anger and fracturing and division. That's been going on since Genesis 3. And as a country, we need to hear, right, a clarion call from God right now. So Jesus is the hope for reconciliation and peace and unity. The only shot we have to help people from all peoples begin to love one another. Seven times he used the word one. Do you think he was trying to make a point? One heart, one body, one mind, one spirit, one God, one Father, one Lord. The only hope we've got is Christ at the center the Prince of Peace. As a people of Jesus, we've got to be praying for that. And here's we've got to be modeling that. So a growth mark for the work of Jesus in this body right now, there should be strong unity. A unity with one another. A loving one another marked with what? Patience. It takes a lot of patience to live in community together, doesn't it? It takes a lot of patience to deal with me in my quirks week after week. Some of you have been 20 some years. You're like, Simpson, you got nothing new in your sermon illustrations. You've been with for like 20 some years. I talk to guest preachers all the time. They're like, oh, it's awesome to be guest preacher everywhere because I get to bring my A illustrations and my A stories and my A scripture. He says, you local pastors who are with the same people every week, it's just grade C every week. They're just stuck with your C game every week because it's just you in your ordinary life. It takes patience, forbearance. It takes humility. You know what humility is? It's thinking of others before yourself. Have you noticed we just don't grow up and drift that way? Those of you as parents, have you noticed this? Certain markers on your little growth chart with your kids, have you noticed that others' orientation doesn't hit the top of the stack? Did you notice that self-centeredness seems to come quite natural? I'm amazed at how my selfishness can just take my breath away at times. All I have to do 
is get a head cold or the stomach flu. And I guarantee you right now, I'm a living illustration of self-centeredness and selfishness, which I understand from the ladies is a fairly common commentary on us men. We're fairly wimpy when it comes to illness in general. But my point being, right, it takes patience. It takes humility. It takes grace to what? To live together, to work together, to be on the same page together, to support each other, to encourage each other, to have unity mark this body of people we call Eagle Church as a family together. And if we're gonna find and experience the immeasurably more life, Paul says, here's how the scale's gonna get balanced, Eagle Church. Your calling's secure in Jesus. Here's what your living's gonna look like. First marker on this immeasurably more, unity rooted in Christ-like character. We got no shot with unity without Jesus at the center of this thing. He is the Prince of Peace, and he is the center of this place. That's why we've got hope for people from all peoples. Boone County isn't the most diverse, but if Boone County was to increasingly diversify, you know what this body should reflect? It should reflect the environment in which we are. All people everywhere are welcome in this body because in Jesus' name, he welcomes all people from all places all the time. So that's what his body should be known for. Oneness, and now follow me, second marker, verse 11 and following He says, it was he, speaking of Christ, gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. To what? To prepare God's people for works of service so that, underline, so that the body of Christ may be built up until until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now jump down to verse 16 because he taps on the same theme in verse 16. From him, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. Underline this, as each part does its work. So to grow up together is to see immeasurably more unity rooted in Christ-like character. And to grow up together is to see immeasurably more diversity that flows out of a role clarification. Last month, Hall of Fame game, kickoff of the NFL season. We're up in Canton, Ohio. Guys are getting dressed, ready to go out on the field, doing our normal pregame routine. Chaplain's kind of off to the side. I try to stay out of the way. You know, occasionally guys will come over for some pregame prayer before they even warm, but just kind of stay out of the way. And I saw some guys run back in from their early game warm-ups, and they kind of had this look on the face of concern. And then I heard a little rumble from one of the guys say, we're not playing today. Uh, what? And of course, you know the story as it unfolded, right? And then I walked out of the locker room. I said, let me go see what's going on out here. Canton, Ohio. They host one football game a year. One game, that's all that's hosted on this field. There are literally 50 sport coat jacket guys standing at the 50-yard line. I thought, well, I have no idea what's going on, but that can't be good. And there's like no like, you know, football player uniform guys. They're just all these like, yeah, not you normally see at the 50-yard line before a game. And then at the end of their meeting, They come up with the executive decision. The game is canceled. I'm standing over by Matt Hasselback because, you know, Matt, we have have good history together. And Matt's first ESPN game day, his first broadcast. 
So I went over to check in on him. And go, hey, how's it going? Are you excited about today? I'm pumped up for you, brother. It's gonna be great. I'm standing there. We're just chit-chatting. This ESPN producer is running like there's a five-alarm fire coming to where he's going. I mean, his face is red, and he's coming. He runs right up. He's got Hasselback and Woodson and Randy Moss. He pulls them all together, stand there. I just take like two, three steps back. I have no idea what's going on here, but I don't need to be a part of that. So he, he says, here's what he says. He says, the game has been canceled. You have to fill four hours. <laughs> he pointed to all of them. And so he said, the producer's like, get on your phone, get on your text, get Andrew Luck out here, get all these guys out here. We got to fill four hours now. Go. I just tapped Hasselback on the back and go, hey, Matt, have a good time. I'm out, you know. <laughs> you know, I probably was the only one in the stadium thinking these thoughts, but I stood there on the sidelines for a few minutes as this whole thing was unfolding. The stands were filling up with 20,000 people. The referees were there. The equipment guys had set everything up. The vendors were vending food. Everything was in motion. And the whole thing got canceled. Why? One guy with a five-gallon bucket of paint and a spray gun who didn't do his job. Probably didn't have a job today, by the way. But it came out that the guy who sprayed the lettering on the field did it in such a way that literally it turned into a mini ice rink. So the guys would go out there and they could just slide on their cleats right across the... And then if they punctured through it, their cleat was stuck. Oh, that would go over well. And it wasn't just a 50-yard line emblem. It was the entire end zone on both sides. Like I said, I was probably the only one sitting now on the bench of the sidelines as then they told us, they say, by the way, you're just going to hang out here for like two and a half, three hours because your airplane's in Orlando. So you're hanging out at Canton, Ohio in the stadium. After we announced the game's canceled, you get to sit here. I thought that is, that's Ephesians 4.16. That's like a living illustration of how Jesus, this is what Paul's saying, how the body of Christ works. This is a together thing. The immeasurably more life is together. We need one another. Do you realize that we cannot do local church immeasurably more life together without each other? There's no possible way today we could be here gathering together if every supporting ligament around here doesn't do its part. And if just one guy with a five-gallon bucket and a spray, if he doesn't know what he's doing, the ripple effect, if they don't carry out their role and do their job, do you realize literally one guy, it is not an understatement to say he affected millions of people's lives. With just one little drop ball, and I'm sure he wasn't intentionally doing it, I have no idea the backdrop. My point is just, that's how the body of Christ works. And the tendency in local church life is the 80-20 principle that many of you in business circles use. You know, where 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. Do you know that the scriptures know nothing of 80-20? That's not what God calls his people to. We need less 80-20 and more Ephesians 4-16. Where 100% of God's people are clear with their assignment and role that God's called them to. And then busy about it. Doing your jobs, doing our work, being about it. 
One of my primary roles is I need to prepare well to open God's word to teach in this setting and other settings. That's one of my roles. That's one of my responsibilities. I need to carry out that role well. I need to do my job. And then there's a whole bunch of other roles, not just the paid ministers. Notice the text says the ministry isn't for the paid ministers. The paid ministers are to equip the people to do the ministry. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? Ministers helping others do the ministry. So the point today isn't doing the ministry. It's helping all of you do the ministry together. And this is how this, all this works. Did you know like 6, 37 o'clock this morning, a whole crew of tech folks back there, Alicia and Brian and Michael and others and the worship team, they all arrive. And don't you appreciate their ministry? Hunter and the banner, don't you appreciate how they lead us? Not just with their skills in music, but they lead us with a heart that they spend time praying together. They spend time during the week internalizing the songs. Aren't you grateful for that? That's how this part of the body, they know this is their supporting ligament that does their part. Did you know there's a whole army of people downstairs right now caring for all of our younger lives, all those under the age, fourth grade and under, a couple hundred of them downstairs now, and there's people, right, deployed, and what are they teaching them? They're talking about the life of David today, and they're in the book of 1 Samuel, and they're trying to train and equip the children around what? Help these kids say, hey, kids, the most amazing invitation you could ever receive in life is that you could live your life with Jesus. Do you see that? And these adults are deployed. Aren't you grateful for that? Every supporting ligament does its part. Aren't you grateful that Carl and some of his helpers set up these blue chairs at some point? Isn't that really nice when you arrive that chairs are in their place and, and there's air conditioning that's turned on and the facility's ready to receive? All these parts. And all you have to do is show up around here when somebody in a key cog of the wheel isn't carrying out their role. And what happens? Oh my God. The whole thing just, everything just starts spiraling around. That's when you see in your own workplace, in team setting, in home, in family life. Paul said, this is how it works. There's a immeasurably more life is marked with unity that's rooted in Christ-like character. And then there's this diversity. There's this multiplicity of roles. There's an interconnectedness and interdependentness that we all have with one another. If you thought linking up with Jesus, you could do this solo deal, you picked the wrong guy. Jesus said, this following Jesus is an us thing. It's a together thing. We need one another. The whole letter of Ephesians is written to a community. Most of the New Testament is written to a community. It's a together thing. It's a we're in this one to another, interconnected, interdependent. And there's no shot in immeasurably more life without every single one of us getting clear about our role and doing our job, carrying out our work. And that's a key marker for us on growing up together. Thirdly and lastly now, follow me, verse 14 and following. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things, underline, grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. So in immeasurably more life, first marker on the doorframe is unity. Second marker is diversity. Third marker is maturity. There's a maturity that's marked by it being the norm and not the exception. Or think of it this way. There's a maturity that has an everyday reality to it. There is a more, there is a together, and there is an everyday to this immeasurably more life. That's what it means to grow up together. How many 25-year-olds in the room? Anybody 25 here? Huh, 25-year-olds. All right, there's a few. 
Anybody remember what it was like to be 25? How about that, huh? Just a few years ago from some of you. Do you know as a congregation we're 25 years old this January? I think it's a good metaphor for us. Go with me here for a couple of minutes. If I was to ask some of our 25-year-olds, kind of what are what marks, what are the things that are really important to you at 25? Well, think back now. So you think back to when you were 25. And part of what happens in your mid-20s is you become a little more comfortable in who you are and get comfortable in your own skin and trying to see what you're going to give yourselves to. Where's your time and energy? You're getting clear on your vocational calling and where are you going to put your time and effort and energy? You're going to make a difference in this world. How? Usually around the mid-20s into the late 20s, that's kind of what's going on. And then there's a sense in which you're probably going to pay off some debt because if you're in your mid-20s and you went to school, you piled up a whole lot of that, Right? And so usually somewhere in the 20s, you kind of get, hey, we've got to pay off some debt that we've accumulated. And I think these are good, these are good mark. This is, we're 25 years old as a body. We're not 10 anymore. We're not 15 anymore. We're 25. And so that's kind of what's going on around here right now as we mature on this door frame of the immeasurably more life. So this past Thursday, I'm excited that the timing worked out this way. This past Thursday, around 12 noon, million was deposited into the mortgage balance account. Because we sold 10 and a half acres on the southeastern parcel of our campus grounds here. As many of you know, we've been in this journey for a long time together, but this past Thursday, the transaction was finalized and that cut our debt load, it took it from 2.78 to 1.45. And to think about that for implications. Why is that so important? Because we really, really believe the single most important invitation on the planet is that someone can be invited into everyday life with Jesus. We believe that at the core of our being. There's nothing more important than that. That's what discipleship is, by the way. Discipleship is inviting people and living everyday life with Jesus. Discipleship, living everyday life with Jesus. And then missions, you know what missions is? Missions is helping others do that. Missions is going out, right, to our neighbors and the nations and inviting people into that life. And the next generation is start as early as you can. And that right there, those three things, discipleship, missions, next generations, That's why selling 10 and a half acres and releasing 1.33 million to reduce the mortgage and by God's grace over the next year to year and a half to two years, we're gonna burn that mortgage completely. Won't that be a glorious day? You talk about a big old party we'll have around here, right? We'll burn that mortgage for what purpose? So that what? So that we can release funds for ministry to do the immeasurably more life, to extend this amazing invitation. Come and live life with Jesus discipleship. Go and invite as many other people to be a part of that. Do something about the brokenness of this world around you and start as young as you can possibly start next generation. That's what we're doing. If you want to know what in the world Eagle Church is all about, three words, discipleship, missions, next generation. That's what we're doing. That's what we're about. That's what we're going to be faithful to. We're probably not going to have the softest seats in the area on Sunday morning. You guys already know that. We're not going to have the softest seats. We're probably not going to have the flashiest light show, though the tech team does a great job with all that. But it's not going to be like, you know, 
Las Vegas Light Show up here. And we have a great worship team and band, but we're not going to go down to Nashville and go and pay and recruit a bunch of Nashville mus- musicians to, to, to lead us in work. That's not where we're, we're not going to have five or six satellite campuses and broadcasting this bald head all over. That's not what we're going to be doing. That's not, you know what, but, but here's what we are going to be doing. We're going to keep the scriptures taught clearly. We're going to keep God's word at the center of what we're doing. We're going to keep Jesus and his name magnified. We're going to be faithful to that. Here's the other thing you're going to know when we gather together. Not every minute of the service is going to be programmed out. We're going to have flexibility and spontaneity in our worship times together, even to the point where Boy, it's the first time I think that's ever happened, Hunter. We sang happy birthday. I had no idea what was going on there. I'm sure Pastor Brad loved that. <laughs> but what is that? Because we as family and we love one another and we care about one another. We want to know your name. We want you to know you can know and be known here and be loved and be loved here. That's what this place is going to be about. And there's going to be spontaneity and there's going to be flexibility in what we're doing. But Christ is going to be at the center. Scriptures are going to be taught well. And we're going to be faithful. We're going to bust our tails to work hard at discipleship and missions and next generation. That's what we're going to do. And that's how we're going to release ministry funds to go to get those things down the field. And I'd love for as many of you to join us as you feel God calling you to be a part of it. That's where we're at. That's what it means to be 25 years old as a body. We're growing up together. This is us. We're not 15 anymore, gang. We're not 10 anymore. Hallelujah. We're not 15 anymore. Some of you remember when we were 10. Some of you remember when we were two. We were just toddlers. You remember. You've been on the journey with us. That's wonderful to be a part. But we're 25 now. And part of us is embracing, right, this. We're going to be marked with an immeasurably more unity and immeasurably more diversity and immeasurably more maturity. That the spiritual development of people will be the culture and fabric of how we do church together. That's why God put us here. It's for the spiritual development of people. And I say to you as being around here for 25 years with you, The pull as you get older in ministry as a body together is not to organizational simplicity. The pull is to organizational complexity. And some of my journey over the last three years in this lead pastor role to say to you, I've been trying to work hard to listen to God, to listen to you and to say, Jesus, let's not make this overly complicated. You told us to make what? Matthew 28, make disciples, not make Christians, by the way, that's a whole nother, right? Make disciples. And you're supposed to do that. The scope of that command is what? The nations. I don't think we're going to run out of things to do anytime soon. And then what's his promise at the end of that? You go and you, you go make disciples and you do it to the ends of the world. And he says, and I'll help you. I'll be with you. Lo, I'm with you always to the ends of the I'll help you. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful for that. Jesus will help us. And this is what we're going to be doing. We, let's not make this overly complicated, gang. The pull is to complex. Let's go back to centering ourselves on what are we going to do? We're going to make disciples. We're going to be disciples. You can't make a disciple unless you are a disciple, by the way. So the mirror comes back to us, right? Be a disciple and help others do that. Make disciples. Discipleship mission. Start as young as you can possibly start. Next generation. We're going to be on that. Bust our tails for that. And I know so many of you already are on that journey. But if you're newer and you're trying to figure out what's going on at Eagle, that's as clear as I know how to say the immeasurably more life before us is marked with those things and what God's called us to, the spiritual development of people. 
The church is for discipleship and discipleship is for the world. We're, going to be, we're supposed to be doing something about the massive brokenness that scrolls across our news feeds every way. It's the body of Christ that needs to be at the forefront of solving that, right? If we're looking at elections and government leadership to solve all that, you're, we're already setting ourselves up for massive disappointment there. So here's what we got to look in the mirror. What are we doing as a body of Christ to engage the brokenness of our world? Well, to go out there and do something about it, that's immediately going to fuel you better. Discipleship flows into missions starting as young as you can. They're all interconnected and intertwined. 